If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you, and 1 Kings 17 is on page 299. So you can turn there, and then if you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you uh, when our service is over as our gift to you. Well, I mentioned last week, we're in kind of the two-part of an introductory series uh, on Elijah. And I mentioned last week at the end of the message, uh, just this truth, the fact that God's ways are not always our ways. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you kind of had a plan and you had some thoughts and you thought, this will be really how God's going to work this out or the way he's going to go. And then God throws you a curveball and it's not that at all, right? Uh, One of the most clear examples in my life of this came my senior year of high school. Uh, I was planning on attending a Baptist college in Kentucky. I had applied and been accepted there. And every year, our state convention had a speakers tournament. They invited high school seniors to come. I prepared a, like a three-minute speech. I gave it at my local church level, went to the associational level, competed with some other speakers, and then uh, was invited to the state level. Uh, and so I worked out in my mind that this was how God was going to send me to college because the winner of the state speakers tournament got a full tuition scholarship to any of the three Baptist schools. So I was like, hey. This is down pat. I'd been in drama. I'd, I'd been, you know, on stage, was, was comfortable speaking in front of people. And I just knew this was God's plan and how he was going to work out my college career. So I sat out the spring musical. I'd been in all three years of, of high school, but I knew this year I couldn't do it because it was the same weekend as the production. Uh, so I prepared and I mean, I had this speech down pat. I mean, I had, you know, motions, body, uh, you know, body positioning, facial expression. I mean, it was all there. I mean, it was together. I nailed the local level. I won the associational level, was at the state competition, got through the first round, was in the semifinal rounds, and I will never forget it. I could take you to the Cedarmore Baptist Assembly today, to the very building, to the very room and the spot on the floor where I walked over and I made a point and I went just like that and I had the worst brain freeze I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, if you had asked me my name, I couldn't have told you who I was at that moment. And I froze, just this panic set in. And my mom, she had been with me through all this. She said it was a four-second pause, but it felt like 40 minutes. And I picked back up with my very next sentence, and I finished out my speech, nailed, you know, hit every mark. But as we were advancing and they were looking for, you know, uh, quality and and, uh, skills in that, that little bit of a hiccup, I, I I uh, I was out of the competition. And I was crushed. I was angry. I was confused. I mean, I, I, was, I, I was like, God, we had a plan here. I did my part. You froze my brain up. And now what am I going to do? You know, I, how am I going to go to college? My parents can't afford it. I, you know, I've not been doing anything else, you know, and I missed my whole, you know, musical spring production sort of deal. I was not in a good place. It, it was a, a, a big camp with all kinds of woods. So I went walking through the woods. I'm kicking trees, you know, and throwing rocks at woodland creatures and just, oh, so, so upset. And, and for two months, I mean, I'm just in a place of now what? What am I going to do? I just didn't know. I'm just moving through the rest of my senior year. God, thanks for nothing. You put me out on a limb and here I stand by myself kind of deal. 
Well, as we neared the end of my senior year, there was an evening, it was a a scholarship and awards night, and our whole class had to come, and what they did was they invited different colleges to come in, and they made presentations to students who were getting various awards and various scholarships, and it was like salt in the wound, you know, knowing that I was going to this, and so we go, and they're doing all these recognitions, and people are getting all these different scholarships and things, and unbeknownst to me, Campbellsville University had sent a representative because there were several students who were going to go there and I had no idea I'd even applied or was eligible but when they got to their part of the program they called my name to have received a half tuition academic scholarship I was floored absolutely just stunned that this had happened that that I received that and throughout that summer several other scholarships and award things I had applied for were awarded and I got those things and long story short from that 90% of my tuition was paid by the time I set foot on campus that fall. And by God's grace and mercy, my parents were able to pay as I went through college. And I graduated college and didn't even realize what a gift I'd been given until decades later that I had no college debt. And I remember looking back on that and still reflecting on it today going, wow, God's plan was so much better than my plan. And the fact that he reminded me through that, that he's going to work it out in his way, not in my way, has been something I've carried with me to this day. But here's a question for you. What happens when the end result doesn't turn out positive? That's a positive story. You went to school, you got your education, got it. What happens when it doesn't turn out well? Maybe the person you're praying for dies. Maybe your situation goes from bad to worse. What happens when it's not a positive end result? God is no less God. He's no less worthy to be praised. What I shared with you last week in this study of Elijah is what I want to remind you of is that God wants to meet you in your situation or circumstances. I called it a mess last week. We we all get in messes. Sometimes we create our own. Sometimes other people create them and we have to deal with them, right? But nonetheless, we all find ourselves in messes sometimes. And I told you, sometimes God wants to meet you and, and work in your situation so that the circumstances change and everybody sees and knows the work that's taking place. But there are other times where the work that God wants to do is to come and meet with you individually and do a work within you even though he doesn't change the situation or circumstances around you. There's a song, I think it was Scott Crepain that sang the song that said, sometimes God calms the storm, but sometimes he calms his child. You know, and God may do either of those works in our lives. And as we look at Elijah today and how God prepared Elijah for the work that he had called him to do, Uh, I want us to see and understand that God may not always work and he may not always lead us in the way that we would want, that we would like, that we would plan or prepare for ourselves. But the work that God does is always greater and is always a work that brings him more glory and honor than anything we could ever do on our own. 
So if you'll remember the situation as we come back to 1 Kings chapter 17, Ahab is the king of Israel. Ahab is a wicked king who doesn't follow God's ways. His wife is wickeder than him. Uh, Her name is Jezebel, and uh, she brought Baal worship to Israel, a very barbaric uh, religion in the sacrifices they offered, very immoral in their worship practices. Baal was a god of, we talked about last week, seasons, the land, and crops. All right, so this was the area of expertise in the world that Baal oversaw. God sent Elijah to deliver a message and say, in the name of God, in the name of my Lord, the creator, the ruler of the universe, there's going to be no rain, not even dew in the land of Israel for years until God says there will be rain. So you're like, dude, this is awesome. Elijah came in, put the smack down, and then what happens? You know, how long is this going to last? Well, what's going to take? For me, I'm thinking, yeah, God is going to keep this in front of Ahab and Jezebel every single day. Like, like I think it would have worked probably pretty well to have Elijah at the front gate of the palace with one of those calendars like you have in your offices that say, it's been this many days since our last workplace accident. You know, you know those? It's been this many days since it rained. And then Elijah's out there the next day going, day two, day 195. Day 427, you know, every day reminding Ahab and Jezebel, giving them the old when they come by in, in their chariots, I'm watching you. You know, you, I would just, man, God wants to keep this in front and go, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm in control. You're not in control. Maybe he would send Elijah to taunt the prophets of Baal. Hey, boys, it's getting pretty dry around here. You guys better do something, you know. You know, people are parched. But, you know, that's how I, maybe I would have thought that God would keep this in front of Ahab and Jezebel, the, what he's doing but it's not what God does. Look at verse two. After uh, Elijah delivered the message to Ahab, verse two, and the word of the Lord came to him. This is the word coming to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Hmm. That's a pretty interesting methodology there, God. He comes in and delivers the message to Ahab. And then you say to him, Go hide. The word for go hide yourself means to conceal yourself on purpose. It's like hide and seek where you don't ever get found, even if they call Ali Ali oxen free, right? It's no, he's hiding. He's not hiding among people. He's hanging out in the wilderness, in the barren, arid parts of the land next to a brook. You're like, okay, so he goes there, he, you know, does a semester, does a couple of semesters in in class, gets some education. How long does he stay? Well, the famine lasts three and a half years in the land. And near the end of it, he finally leaves the wilderness and goes and, and meets a lady that we'll talk about here in just a moment. So probably around three years did Elijah hide out alone in the wilderness. That seems like a strange methodology. Why would God do that? What could you possibly be taught and learn for three years by yourself 
sitting in the wilderness. Well, two things I want to highlight this morning. The first is the importance of a relationship with God. Elijah was reminded of the importance of his relationship with God. He wasn't around people, you know, hiding out in plain sight, you know, living uh, amongst people uh, incognito. He was there by himself and he had a lot of time to talk with God. And I want you to remember this. You may want to write this down. This is tweetable even, all right? (laughs) The bigger the task before you, the longer God will lead you in the wilderness to prepare you. The bigger the task before you, the longer God will lead you in the wilderness to prepare you. God has this way of taking people in wilderness type paths to prepare them to very often break them down to size for the work that he wants to do in their lives in the future. Think about a couple of examples. Moses, prince of Egypt, living in Pharaoh's palace, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, murders the Egyptian, winds up in the wilderness tending sheep before God finally brings him back to lead the Israelites out of captivity. Think about Joseph in his journey. Joseph knew as a teenager that his family was going to bow down and serve him, that he was going to be elevated to a place of prominence. So how did that path go? It went to college and then to seminary and then to a trade school. Is that how that went? No, no, no. Joseph wound up almost dead. Fortunately, one of his brothers intervened and kept him alive, sold into slavery, into an Egyptian's household, prominent there, gets falsely accused of of hitting on his boss's wife and winds up in an Egyptian prison. There helps two other guys get out of prison by interpreting a dream and still sits in his own cell for several years after that with nothing happening. Now that's not fast tracking to prominence, is it? Yeah, that was the wilderness journey that God took Joseph through in preparing him for what he had called him to do. David tended his father's sheep. Samuel comes, anoints him to be the next king. So then what does David do? He keeps tending sheep. He finally finds his way as a servant, as a musician playing the harp in Saul's household until Saul gets jealous of him, tries to kill him. So David lives a life for years on the run in the wilderness, in the mountains, living in caves and hiding out in various cities, trying to just stay alive when he's been anointed and knows he's going to be the next king of Israel. You see, God very often takes us through the wilderness to prepare us for the work that he wants to do in the future. And so here's Elijah hanging out in the wilderness. All he's got to do is talk to God. And sometimes those were probably positive conversations and prayers and God show me and reveal and God did that work. But he's human. He probably had some complaint days. God, can I leave today? How much longer? You know, what's next? What, when are you going to do something? What's happening back in the city? You know, all the, who knows? You know, maybe it was this. God, I'm so sick of this beef that the ravens are bringing. Can they bring pork today? No, wait a minute. He was Jewish. He wouldn't have eaten pork. 
chicken. Well, can I eat a raven today? Can I just have the bird instead of the meat that they bring? You know, yes. Yeah, so, uh, who knows what the conversation was? But here's what we do know: this was a season that prepared Elijah for the work that God was going to do. And I want you to note the progression. Early in the chapter, he's a messenger from God. Here's what God said. But look at verse 24. I want to skip ahead for just a moment. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. Underline or circle that phrase, a man of God. She recognized the power of God through his life. She said, and the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. You see, God used the situations and circumstances in her life, which we'll talk about in a moment, to reveal to her that Elijah was a true man of God who was speaking the words that God had laid on his heart. How did Elijah learn to understand and respond to how God was speaking to him? He learned from his years in the wilderness, in his time alone with God. You know, Psalm 4610, I think, is a great verse for us to remember here. Psalm 4610 says, be still. And know that I am God. And you may have that verse on a bookmark or on a, you know, something in, in your office or in your home. But I hope it doesn't just stop there. And I know we do that to abbreviate. And we go, oh, it's a great part. But there's a follow-up part to that. Be still and know that I am God. And then God says this. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see that work there? When we know that God is God. He exalts himself through our lives and our obedience and our service to him. And he says, I'm exalted, not you, not me. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So the spiritual principle from this is very, very simple. You need quiet time alone with God. You need quiet time alone with God. And that's hard for us sometimes because we're, we're doers. You know, we want to go and do something and help. And it feels like the sitting isn't doing anything. I'm just kind of hanging out here. But I'm telling you, that's the most important work that God can do as he teaches us to know that he is God and we're not and how to hear from him and listen to him so that as we go to do what God has called us to do, we accomplish it in his power and his strength and for his glory. But I'm going to tell you, and you all know this to be true, what happens so often is we neglect, we don't spend that time alone with God beforehand, and then we go out and we start making decisions, and we start making choices, and we start doing things. And then what happens? We make a mess of it. Or we find ourselves in a mess. And we're like, okay, I stop. I give up. God, help me. And God's like, I would have helped you from the beginning if you had listened. But you ran ahead. You had your own plan. You had your own way. You decided you were going to do this. You weren't listening. And God calls us to be still before him. And, you know, sometimes, I, I hate to put this out here. Sometimes God will put you in the wilderness even if you don't want to go there. God may bring sickness into your life. He may bring tragedy. He may bring financial hardships. He may strip you of the things that you have pride and confidence and you find security in. He may pull every single one of those things away to teach you the lesson that he is enough. 
And that's not always easy to learn that lesson. But it's because God wants to do a sanctifying work within you that he will go to those measures to help you know him, listen to him, and live your life in obedience to him. So, you know, we see this example in scripture. Uh, we see where King David, very often we have the, the journal. We, 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 in essence, sort of have David's diary in the Psalms. As he wrote songs to God, there are songs of praise and adoration and things are great and God is good. And then there are days when David was belly aching and he was complaining and he was praying that God would dash his enemy's babies against the rocks. That's in the Bible? Yes, that's in the Bible. You see, David was real and he got alone with God and he said, God, here's where I'm at today. Some days it was good, some days it wasn't good. When David sinned against Bathsheba, the guilt and the conviction of sin, David writes of that and just how his body ached and his bones cried out in sorrow and grief for his sin. David was real in letting us see the picture of his time alone with God and him pouring his heart out to God. We see in the life of Jesus, there was no one who was ever busier, more in demand than Jesus Christ himself. But the Bible says that Jesus very often withdrew to lonely places to spend time in prayer, to hear from God, to receive instruction, to know what it was that God was calling him to do. So I'm going to pause and cause a timeout right here, but say this, if you don't get the second part of what I'm going to share here in a minute, get this truth for your life. Find a way to make time to spend alone with God regularly and consistently in your life. Find a way to make the time to spend alone with God on a regular and consistent basis in your life. And here's what I'll say about that. You will have to make the time It won't come easily because you have an enemy, an adversary who will distract you and pull you away and do everything he can to keep you from spending time with God because he doesn't want you to grow in your relationship with him. It's not easy, but you need that time alone with God. And one of the things that we do in our church, if you're new here, is we have these devotions. They're called the Word for You Today. Uh, This one will cover the next three months. It starts in September. Uh, There are devotions uh, for each day. There's a Bible reading plan in the back. If you follow the inside cover, you can read through the Bible in a year. You can just go through and check it off. And if you miss a day and want to catch up, you can do that. There's a passage for you to read and just a couple of sentences and some questions, maybe a prayer for you. It's a good starter resource. It's not all that you'll ever need, but it's a good starter resource. Uh, For the record, I don't write these, okay? Uh, we, we get this from a publishing company. Uh, people for years, you know, have told me, I love the devotions you write and stuff, and sometimes I'm in a hurry and don't have time to explain, so I just say, you're welcome. Hope, glad you enjoyed them. So, um, but, you know, I didn't, didn't write them, but uh, there they are. So uh, those are available to you free of charge. They're at exits uh, around the building, so feel free to pick one of those up today. But whatever it takes, whatever it takes for you and your life and your journey and your pace, find time to spend alone with God. And I know we're like, well, I'm rushed and I'm busy and it's just hard to do. Look, God sent Elijah into the wilderness for three years. Are you telling me that we're so busy and what is in our life is so grand that we can't take 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes every couple of days to spend time with God and his word and in prayer, listening for his voice and, and asking him to guide and direct us in every area of our lives? Are we that busy? You know, the old saying goes, and I don't remember who it was, but if you're ever in doubt, just say it was Spurgeon. So maybe it was Spurgeon who said, 
If you're too busy to spend time with God, then you're busier than God wants you to be. If you're too busy to spend time with God, you are busier than God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to do anything without him, but spend time with him. So that's the first thing that we see from this passage. The second thing is this. We see that God provides. Three years in the wilderness by the brook, Elijah saw that God provides. I don't know why, but I really enjoy these survival shows that are on television. The reality stuff, you know, uh, dual survival that's out when the man and wife were doing their survival things. Man, I used to crack up at that one when it, when it was on. The Bear Grill stuff that's out, even now he's taking the celebrities out. I love those shows, but here's the thing. I pray to God I'm never in a place I have to use any of those skills. But I just like watching them, you know, and it's just one of those random things. But, you know, Bear Grylls is out. He's like, oh, you know, we're having a difficult time, so we're going to eat these grubs or these leaves that are here. I'm like, uh-uh, not happening. I'll die and go be with Jesus before, you know, I'll do that stuff. Just, just not going to do it. But Elijah in the wilderness wasn't like some survivalist that's out there. Ravens brought him bread and meat every morning and every evening, and he had the brook there to wash it down with. Now, I don't know what you know about ravens, but they are not the pinnacle of selflessness in the animal kingdom. They're scavengers. They're all about themselves. So God, in his created order, uh, reaches down and takes these ravens and uses them to provide for Elijah in the wilderness. You know, and I think about that sometimes. I'm like, like, how did that work out practically? Did God just make meat appear and they took it you know, to Elijah? Or were they like getting it from places? You know, dead ant- you know, the meat part, you know, God can, you know, kill a squirrel. I'm going to send the ravens over here. The squirrel dies and, you know, take that in or, you know, whatever the case may be. But bread is a little more difficult. And maybe God could have made it. God made manna in the wilderness. But, you know, sanctified imagination sometimes. Dude, think about God inspiring people to make bread. But remember, they're in a drought. It's a famine time. You know what? I think I'm going to make some bread today. And I'm going to sit it right here and feed the animals. You know, maybe they're selfless. Their act of obedience to God was making bread and leaving it on the windowsill. Maybe because they were animal lovers. My daughter is a big animal lover. She always wants to feed and adopt and do whatever for everything she can. Uh, She saw how animals in the animal kingdom, though, can be when it comes to food sometimes. We were at NASA several years ago when we lived in Florida, and we were taking a tour, and we'd stopped to have lunch. And we bought, uh, her uncle bought her a big old chocolate chip cookie, and we divided that thing up, and she had a pretty good piece of that left. And she's sitting at the table, chewing on this cookie as we're talking, and she, like, had it in her hand and was, you know, doing this number here. And this bird swooped in and clawed it right out of her hands scared her to death i mean first it was Whoa, what was that and then it was like that stinking bird ate my cookie you know and so it just just changed like that so i i think of these ravens and maybe somebody put the bread out but maybe it was more sinister you know you got these flock of ravens flying in and the kids are like mommy the birds are coming you know they, they swoop in and they're wah, 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 and they're grabbing the bread and taking it out i don't know you know maybe one of them thus saith the raven no more you know as it heads out Edgar Allan Poe, let me go read that today. But you know, who, who knows? But see, the, the details aren't important. What, what is important, though, is that God provided for Elijah food, sustenance, everything he needed to live in the relationship with himself. But don't miss this. Elijah's obedience to God's plan and God's purposes led to another test of his faith. Elijah is doing what God told him to do. Delivered the message, went to the wilderness, hanging out, depending on the birds to feed him. And then look at verse 7. 
chapter 17. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Well, that's a fine how do you do, isn't it? You're doing what God wants you to do. He's providing. Things are hunky-dory going just fine. And all of a sudden, one day you look over and like, wait a minute, that's just wet sand. Where'd the water go? Why did the water disappear? Because of the pronouncement that Elijah had made that God wasn't going to send rain to the land. Write this down. If you've got a little margin or maybe a space there after verse 7, tie it to this verse. Obedience sometimes brings testing obedience sometimes brings testing you know we got this crazy way of thinking about our spiritual life in today's culture and it's unfortunate that we think this way but also there are some teachers out there that teach this way that when you love Jesus and you're obedient and you serve him things always go good in your life things always turn out peachy keen and just fine because you love Jesus and you obey him. Therefore, his blessings that the Bible speaks of are all good things and you never want for anything. The only problem with that ideology is the Bible itself because the Bible doesn't teach that. Here's Elijah, as an example, doing what God told him to do and all of a sudden his food and his water run out. And what, what, you know, what's going on now? The birds are still bringing the food, but the water's gone. You need water to live. I learned that from the survival shows. More than you need food, all right? So no water. God, what's up with that? You ever been in a place of comfort in your life? Spiritually, materially, relationally? Things are good. Things are fine. And all of a sudden it dries up. All of a sudden things aren't good. You're like, what happened here? What happened to Elijah? But what is God showing Elijah? That he will provide. So let me tell you what happens from this. As we look forward, we see that God then comes to Elijah when the water dries up and said, I want you to go to this town. And he sends him where he wants to go. And when he gets there, there's a widow. She's gathering up sticks. Elijah says to her, ma'am, would you bring me some water and some bread? I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. She says to him, sir, I have just a little bit of flour left and a little bit of water. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to make some bread for me and my son. It's what the sticks are for, to make a fire to cook the bread. And then we're going to die of starvation because I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's a famine in the land, right? And so like, who are, you're asking for food and we're about to die. We're down to our last meal. And Elijah said, tell you what, God's going to take care of it. Just do what I ask test of faith and obedience for the woman. So she goes back, takes a little bit of flour, water, bakes the bread, brings it back to Elijah. And the Bible says that the flour never runs out. The oil never ran out. She, her son, and Elijah are provided for, the Bible says, for many days. Don't know how long, but for quite some time, there's a miracle in feeding these three individuals. Things are good. The brook metaphorically is running again in their life and then it dries up because the woman's son gets ill and the woman's son dies and she's grieving and she's sorrowful. What, what now? Why would God do this? He brought you in, he provided for us to keep us alive and now my son died. What's going on? Again, God provides. Elijah goes in, he prays for the son and you can read all of this later in 1 Kings 17. He prays for the son and God brings him back to life. He resurrects the son from life. And Elijah takes him down, 
lets him see his mother, the, the tearful, joyous reunion. And then she makes the declaration in verse 24 that we read earlier, that now I know that you're a man of God. And the words, of, the words in your mouth are truth that came from God. You see, God used those situations and circumstances to reveal himself through Elijah and the message that Elijah delivered. So you see, God provided food for Elijah, water for Elijah in the wilderness, provided food, uh, sustenance for the woman, provided new life when new life was needed. Remember that for just a moment. But the two things we see from today are this. Get alone with God and trust God to provide. Get alone with God and trust God to provide. So we're looking at Elijah, and I told you that Elijah's story is in 1 Kings 17, but his shadow and his presence are cast all the way to the New Testament. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah. And we talked about last week the humble beginnings. Elijah had humble beginnings. Jesus had humble beginnings. Elijah had a miraculous feeding. Did Jesus have a miraculous feeding? Yes, several of them, as a matter of fact. Elijah and then his follower, Elisha, resurrected children from the dead. Did Jesus resurrect children from the dead? Yes, they did. Yes, he did. Jairus' daughter was resurrected from the dead. So you can see how people would say, wow, Elijah's back. All the things that Elijah was doing, now we see Jesus is doing. Well, Elijah's here again, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Elijah's not here again. Someone greater than Elijah is here. The God who did all of those things for and through Elijah now lives in your presence. And he is here to invite you to a new way of provision, to a new relationship with God through him and his death and his resurrection on the cross. And so as Elijah brought new life to the boy, Jesus brings new life to us, new and eternal life, and even a new. And in John 10, Jesus talked about a fulfilled life during our time on earth. And so as we look and we see these things, we're reminded that we need to draw close to God and we need to trust him to provide. And here's one thing that I will say about this, another connection of Jesus and Elijah. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders in his hometown and he kind of goes through and he says, Elijah, there were a lot of widows in the land he could have fed, but he went to this one widow over here. And he's reminding them that a prophet is, is without honor in his hometown that they weren't going to hear and listen and receive his miracles so that God was sending Jesus to other places where people would receive that and he could do his work there, and even though he would be doing a different work in Jesus' town. You know, one of the principles we see from that is that God's going to do what he wants to do in the life and the situations of each of us uniquely and individually. And here's what I mean by that. You may have heard my story about college a little bit earlier. And the thought in your mind may have been, man, why didn't God pay for my college like that? And maybe a little jealousy can settle in to say, it would have been nice if not had college debt. Do you know what that college debt has created to me? And we can kind of get into this, look at my life. Why is your life this and why is my life that? I don't know. I can't give you that answer as to why God moved in that way, in that set of circumstances and situation, but I do know this. The God in your life is the same God in my life. And his power and his work that he's doing and has done in my life is the same power and work that he wants to do in your life 
in your situations and in your circumstances to bring glory and honor to himself. That's the work that God wants to do and desires to do as you walk in obedience to him. But understand, your obedience may still mean difficulties and hardships because here's what we know about Jesus. No one, no one was more perfect and followed God's will more obediently than Jesus Christ himself. No one. Yet what did God's plan, God's will have in store and and bring as the end result of Jesus' life on earth? It was a horrific, painful death. Perfectly obedient to God's will and God's will led him straight to the cross of Calvary so that he could die for your sins, so that you could know God, so that God could provide new life for you through Jesus Christ. And that is my hope and my prayer for you today, is that you will know Christ as your Savior, and that if you do know him, that you will grow in that relationship and that walk with him, and you will trust God to provide. And sometimes he'll move and he'll do great things in the situations and circumstances, but sometimes God will do his greatest work in your heart and spirit, reminding you that you are his and he is yours and he will accomplish his will, his plans, his purposes, even when we don't see or understand or know why he's doing a certain thing in our life. So I invite you today, let's surrender ourselves, commit ourselves to his way, his plans, and his purposes. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we again have looked through Elijah's life, Lord, we see these principles, these truths today. And Father, we are reminded that, Father, you are God. We are not. Lord, we don't always understand the wilderness, why you would lead us to a certain way, to a certain path, through a certain set of circumstances or situations. But God, I pray that above all else, we would trust you and learn to trust you. Father, make time in our life to draw close to you so that we can see that God Even though we may not see the provision in a way that we think it would happen, we can know that you provide. And God, you provide not for our benefit, but for your glory. So I pray that people would see your work in us and that they would be drawn to you as a result through our lives lived in obedience to you. Pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.